Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Praise the Lord. How many are thankful that we serve a Savior who is an overcomer tonight? And you're overcomers. And so we want you to take heart. How many know that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, joy, and a sound mind? If you have your copy of God's Word tonight, we're just going to have a little bit of a Bible study tonight. I would just want to build on what I began to preach on Sunday morning. And uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture there before we get right into uh, the service tonight. And again, I want to remind you to join us live stream Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We're going to have worship. There'll be worship and communion together. And so uh, please join us. Gather your family together. And, and, and join us on Sunday morning. We love to have you join us and pray uh, that God can uh, speak to your hearts even when we're away from one another and even while you're at home. Before I read the scripture, I want to read this to you. I saw this on, someone had sent this to me, or I had seen this, someone had showed this to me that it was posted on Facebook today. And uh, I thought it was interesting. You'll probably get a kick out of it. And it goes like this. It says, well, I have finally lost it, they said. Was just in Walmart and seen a dude whose cart was full of the rim of the brim with hand sanitizers and baby wipes and soaps and everything that people need. I called him selfish and gave him a lowdown about the elderly and moms and people who need these types of things. I told him he should be ashamed of himself. And at that moment he looked at me and he said, Are you done? Because I really need to get back to restocking these shelves now. <laughs> And uh, I don't know if that tickles you like it did me, but um, those of you who get that probably have been out grocery shopping this week, or you've tried to get some type of service this week and understanding how difficult that has been. What amazes me is there's no food shortage, uh, but yet we're acting like there is a food shortage, and um, it is amazing uh, what happens in people's lives and how what we do when we, when we have fear. And it's amazing that survival thing that kicks in everybody's life, and uh, it, we respond differently. Sometimes some people, when they become fearful, they become irrational, and uh, they begin to do things that are not rational, and uh, it's, it, they become instinctive. And I believe that Christians, that in moments like this, God wants us to, be, to live in faith and not live instinctively. Uh, but to live not by our emotions or live by, uh, not by our fears, be driven by our fears, but that we would be driven by faith that's on the inside of us. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, there's nobody in Scripture we could talk about that carried more faith than Daniel. Here in the book of Daniel chapter 1, I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture and we're going to get right into the Word tonight. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, we started covering the first eight verses of Daniel on Sunday morning, began to kind of slowly unpack that a little bit, but I want to get a little deeper tonight. Verse 8 says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that, that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, I want you to remember that. In verse 8 there when it says, Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart. Now go down to verse 21 
or down to, actually go down to verse, uh, let's go to verse 17. I want to read verse 17 through 21. And it says, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of days, when the king had said that they should uh, that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians, the astrologers, who were all in his realm. Verse 21, thus Daniel continued until the year of King Cyrus. Thus Daniel continued. And, uh, and so on Sunday I began to tell you that as uh, I began to meditate on the things that, began to, that were happening in our culture and happening in our nation, as I began to meditate, I felt the Holy Spirit drop something in my spirit, drop a word in my spirit. And on Sunday, I began to unpack that for you. I'm not going to go back and recover. Uh, you can watch the message online. You can go back and watch. But the Lord dropped the word in my spirit, and the word was shocked. And uh, that word shock uh, is an interesting word because the definition of it means a sudden upsetting or a surprising event or experience. Um, and the word to be in shock uh, means this. It's, a, it's an acute medical condition associated with the fall in blood pressure caused by a sudden event as a loss of blood, uh, a bacterial infection, an allergy reaction, or a sudden emotional stress. And, and it's, it's marked by erratic breathing, uh, it's manifested in the body by dilated pupils. And uh, in other words, the body is thrown into an abnormal response uh, by the shock. In other words, it begins to manifest symptoms uh, that is outside of its normal function. It becomes, the body becomes faint or becomes weak. And the Spirit of the Lord began to speak to me that that is uh, during the course of uh, time that sometimes there are culture shocks. There are things that happen in our society that bring shock to the nation or shock to people. People are shocked by what they see or shocked by what's happening, and it calls them to behave and have an abnormal response to what is happening in this society or in the world. And I believe there's a lot of people, even the church can be shocked. And so, but when as we begin to think about this, as I begin to think about this, and I, I began to put my thoughts together, I thought to myself that uh, uh, what we begin to see, that we have not just had a culture shock, but we've had culture shock uh, for probably the last 20 years. It's been amazing what has happened the last 20 years, uh, this uh, speeding up of history that is happening that we have not seen uh, in the previous 30, the 40, or 50 years and it's amazing what has happened. And this is, this is where we find Daniel. Uh, when I look at the book of Daniel, uh, and I read the book of Daniel, Daniel was a young man that grew up in a Judeo-Christian family. He grew up in Judea. He grew up in the southern kingdoms of Judea. He grew up uh, uh, with a, a heritage, a godly heritage. 
And uh, what happened was now he finds himself in a culture that is foreign to him. When, when Babylon takes uh, Judea into captivity and takes the southern kingdom into captivity, now Daniel is brought into a world that he's not known. Now his value systems are challenged. Now his true systems are challenged. His moral compass is challenged. And what happens is uh, where once he lived in a world that was monotheistic, now he lives in a world that's polytheistic. There's a pluralism and a paganism about the world that he is now brought into. And I can tell you that as I read through the book of Daniel, it is as though we could take Daniel out of the pages of Scripture and place him right here with us today, and there would be a similarity to what has happened in his day to the culture shock that we feel even today. And, uh, of course, he is dealing with the post-Christian world or post-Judean world uh, as he is captive there in Babylon. And we are now beginning to deal with a post-Christian world. Uh, we are now raising the first generation that truly has not been raised in church. And so Christians uh, have a tendency in the moments like this that we want to hunker down and begin to isolate ourselves from the world that is outside. But I don't believe that God wants us to hunker down or to isolate. As I said Sunday, God is insulating us. God wants to insulate our life. I'd mentioned to you before the last 20 years has been somewhat uh, the, the first part of the 21st century has left, surely left an indelible mark upon our nation and upon our world. I was speaking with my daughter this morning uh, at home and we were talking about uh, uh, life and she had made the comment to me. She said, Dad, I don't even know if I really want to have kids. I don't know if I want to have children. She said, I, I, I think about it to bring them up in the world that I'm seeing and living in. And I thought to myself, she was born in 1996 and uh, all of her life has been marked by these indelible events that have happened, these culture shocks that have happened. And it would have, and I can see the mindset of, of coming out in her of this, this, this fear or this, this anticipation of this someone who is like the world has shocked them and have brought, took them through things that uh, normally uh, we would not think. Of course, when you think in the course of the last 20-something years, we've had Y2K, uh, which brought a lot of stress and hysteria into our nation. I remember Y2K. Matter of fact, uh, New Year's Eve of that year, I was preaching in the church and that night, and I remember the anxiety that was on people on what was going to happen. Of course, 9-11 changed our world forever. And of course, all the economic challenges of the early part of the years of 2000, our economic collapse in 2008, the housing market collapse of 2008, 9, and 10, and what we began to see and experience in that time as well as recessions in our economy. And then there was the the outbreaks, there was the SARS outbreak, and then the swine flu outbreak. My sister passed away. Uh, she had caught swine flu. She lived in Cincinnati and had passed away from the swine flu, the complications of the swine flu, which she got an infection in her respiratory system uh, due to the swine flu, and she waited too long to go to the hospital, caused her to go into cardiac arrest, and we lost her in 2009. And, uh, and so I remember that. I remember that moment. But we've also had technology that's come about at the speed of light. And faster than when we get used to something, now something else comes out. And, and 20, 15 years ago, we did not have the accessibility 
uh, on social media that we even do today. Our travel has been, uh, you know, we, the way we travel is different today. Government intrusion, we feel there's a more of intrusiveness of government into our lives. And so not only that, but the biggest thing has been the moral change. There's been such moral uh, uh, shock that has taken place in the last 20 years. We see the beginning of, uh, in June of 2015, gay marriage being legalized in our nation and now we see the transgender movement as it begins to move and begin to try to redefine the family and redefine what God says is family. We begin to see what all of these movements, how abortion, the rise of the emphasis in this battle over abortion and all the things, these moral things that are taking place. And so what we are seeing is we're seeing a world that in the last 20 years we're foreign to, that hit our nation, not like it's been hit before. But Daniel did not isolate. Daniel began that even though he was brought into a nation, you think about Daniel, when they came in and invaded Judea, and they invaded Jerusalem and took Daniel out of there, there was the slaughter of the people. What shock must that have been? Some say that Daniel's parents was even slaughtered in, uh, uh, in, the, in the masses, and he was hauled out of there and traveled 800 miles to Babylon and put in cages, and could you imagine what that would have been, the sight of that, what shock would have come to his life, but Daniel didn't uh, let the outside circumstances determine his behavior, because there was something in Daniel that was much greater than what was on coming in on the outside of him, and we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, and so we can learn much from Daniel, we can learn much from watching him, and what we can take from Daniel's life, and what advice would he have for us tonight? Well, I want to share three things with you. I started one on Sunday morning, but I want to briefly uh, touch that and then give you the other two tonight. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about how to, uh, in a world of shock, how to have faith like Daniel. How do we have faith like Daniel in a world of shock? And so there are three, three things I want to give you tonight. First of all, uh, in a world of shock, uh, we don't give in, we be resistant. We don't give in, we be resistant. Two, in a world of shock, we don't give up, we be consistent. And then the third thing I want to share with you tonight, in a world of shock, we don't, we don't give out, but we be persistent. And I want to share with those with you tonight. And first of all, I want, to, want you to understand, don't give in, uh, don't give in, but be resistant tonight. As we begin to look at Daniel and begin to look uh, at his life, we begin to see that I believe that when Daniel began to, uh, when we read these first few verses of Daniel here in chapter 1 down to verse 8, I don't believe Daniel's speaking passively. I believe he's speaking strongly. I believe Daniel is saying, don't give in, but be resistant in our lives. That he draws a line in the sand when it comes to the Word of God. And this is the point of his resistance. Now, regardless of what happens around us, we must understand tonight that the Word of God is superior in our life. And so we can't give in to the pressures of what may happen on the outside that may try to make us make decisions that are contrary to the Word of God. We cannot give in. We have to resist the temptation and resist what the world tries to put the pressure on us to uh, not obey the word of God or not to live 
in a world of obedience to God. These are tough decisions. Daniel was brought into Babylon, and now he had to make some very tough decisions. We too, in times like this, we have to make some tough decisions, even in moments like we are in right now. There are some very tough decisions that we have to make as Christians, and I want you to know that the Word of God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Jesus never leaves us forsaken. The Word of God is the foundation and the rock which we stand on in times like this. It's what we depend on. He didn't give in to the world around him even though there were tough decisions to be made. And so in order to see Daniel, it's interesting when you begin to think about this. When we begin to read these first few verses of Scripture in Daniel chapter 1, you know, what we see is, is that after the reign of Solomon, there were, there were the, king, there, the, the tribes were broken up into two tribes. The 12, the 12 tribes were broken up into two, 10 in the northern kingdom and two in the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was made up of Judah and Benjamin. And uh, over the course of their history, they had 19 kings in that history. 11 of those kings were wicked kings, and only eight of them really, truly were, had hearts toward God. The northern kingdoms, there was only one king that was a good king, and 27 kings of the northern kingdom over the course of three centuries, there was just one king that served God in the northern kingdom. And, of course, the southern kingdom is where Daniel was from. The northern kingdom, of course, uh, uh, was taken earlier uh, in, in exile before Daniel and them in the southern kingdom was taken into exile. And so we have the southern kingdom where Daniel was from, from Jerusalem, there where he was from. But there's also, as mentioned, not only is there the mention of Jerusalem and Judea, but there's the mention of Babylon. Babylon, uh, all humanistic thought uh, came and started, can be traced back to the Tower of Babel, uh, all the way back to Genesis 11. Babylon was a world power. Uh, it was the capital of pagan worship. And, uh, and so we have these two cities that are mentioned. This is the background in which Daniel has taken into captivity. Not only that, uh, we have these characters that are on the scene. In the early pages of this scripture, you begin to see the names of those who are mentioned by Daniel. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned. He was the king of Babylon. He had built an incredible city. He had built a massive city. And his influence had an indelible effect upon Jehoiakim, who was the king of the southern kingdoms of Judea and Jerusalem. Jehoiakim really uh, was influenced, was really a puppet uh, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, truly, he was, uh, uh, a lot of the inner corruption that was allowed in came by Jehoiakim's ability. The Bible said that Jehoiakim was one that did sight evil in the sight of the Lord, 2 Kings 24, 19 tells us that. But the Bible said Jerusalem was filled with innocent blood. Matter of fact, part of the reason, 2 Kings 24, 4 tells us that Jerusalem, not only were they doing evil in the sight of the Lord, that there was idol worship and corruption going on, but there was a shedding of innocent blood that went out through all of Jerusalem. And so here, here's what's interesting. I thought to myself, Daniel's response in this hour what, what most of us would have been fear and would have been in a place of where we would have bowed down and cowered and would have lost our faith and our ability to trust God. But it did not happen in Daniel. Why didn't that happen? I thought to myself, what was it in Daniel and some of these young men that were able to stand 
and not be afraid in that middle of that culture? How did they resist? How did they uh, not give up? How did they not give in? How did they, uh, how did they resist uh, being influenced by the Babylonian culture? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible tells us that Daniel really was, it was a descendant of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah uh, was a king that loved and served God. But not only that, Daniel was a boy under the revival of King Josiah. When revival came to Israel under King Josiah, Daniel was a boy. And I believe that move of God, that spirit, had a profound impact upon his life. Daniel was extremely bright. And, uh, and what happened was that in that national revival, that had an impact on Daniel. That tells us the importance of the move of God in our life. How important is it for the God to move among our nation and among people in this hour we live in. How important it is to have a move of God even in the midst of national struggle or the midst of, of national fear and in the midst of things that are going on. How important is it to have a move of God? You know why? Because there may be some boy or girl, someone that rises up in the middle of this who becomes like Daniel, who are able to stand in the future because of move of God today. That is why we have to resist, why we cannot give in to the fear and give in to the things that are surrounding us. We cannot react, but we have to walk in faith in this hour. Why? Because we're contending for a move of God. Just as in Daniel's day, when King Josiah's revival broke out, Daniel was a man who was a part of that and was influenced by that. Now, we know Daniel was a smart man, and uh, uh, we know that, that he was very bright. And the Bible tells us that it was in the, verse 1 tells us it was in the reign of Jehoiakim, the third year, which was 605 B.C., uh, that the Judah came under. God brought judgment upon Judah. Jerusalem laid in waste. And, and what we begin to see is this judgment that came upon, and all of those people were carried off with Daniel into captivity. And we realize that, that it was the judgment of God, that God's judgment came upon uh, them, that God's judgment in Daniel 1 and verse 2, we know that Jehoiakim uh, was, it was uh, in, out of the, in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says that in Jeremiah 25, 9, he refers to Nebuchadnezzar as someone who was used as a servant of the Lord. In other words, uh, what happened was, is because Judah refused to continually repent and to come to God after call after call. God sent them Isaiah, and they ignored Isaiah. God sent them Jeremiah, they ignored Jeremiah. God sent them Hezekiah, and they ignored Hezekiah. And time and time again, after they ignored, and they began to do things in their own mind, they came to the place of invincibility, where they thought that they could not, uh, that they were invincible in their own mind. I'm not too sure that we as a nation sometimes feel that we're invincible. But I'm here to tell you that things that are going on right now are showing us, that, showing us that it doesn't take a whole lot to bring a nation to its knees. As we saw in 9-11, it doesn't take a whole lot to shut down a nation or to bring a nation to its knees and to cause people to behave irrationally and live in shock. And we see that it doesn't take much, but God used Nebuchadnezzar in order to bring judgment upon uh, Judah and it wasn't because God didn't love them. 
God called to them. God called to them. Now, you're saying what's happened today, is that a judgment of God? No, I'm not saying it's a judgment of God. But I do believe that if a nation continues to turn away from God, that God can lift his hand off of a nation. And the protection that is once on a nation can be lifted off of a nation. I don't believe it's God's desire to hurt or to cause pain or to to cause destruction in people's life. But I do know this. I do know that God's protection, God will always protect those that are faithful to him. And we always have to be reminded that there are times when God will call us to repentance and call us to a place of national purity. And if we don't respond, sometimes maybe God can lift his hands off of the nation. I'm ever reminded of Psalms 137 of this time when the Bible says that if you you read that psalm, you will understand what that day was like. The Bible said that in, in that verse of Scripture or in that passage of Scripture, it said, by the rivers of Babylon, they were sat down. Yea, we wept. And when we remembered Zion, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. And for those who carried away captive, asked for us a song. And, who's, and those who plundered us request a mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And their response was this, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? For if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand be, forget its, its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. In other words, it gives us a picture of the response of Israel and Judah as they were led into captivity. I remember being in England, and as we went to the museum there, the Natural History Museum there in London, uh, one of the greatest museums in all the world. If you will walk into the area of antiquities, you will see as you walk in, they have many of the uh, many of the murals and stone murals that came off the walls of the palace of Babylon and the cherubims that stood at the front of gates of Nineveh and stood at the front gates of Babylon. They have those huge cherubims, but they also have these huge stone murals where, where the Babylonians would tell the story of, cap, of their, their victories in battle. And one of those stones I'll never forget had this depiction of of Judah being brought into captivity and Jehoiakim and all of them being brought into captivity. And there's that picture of the weeping willows with the harps that hung on the willows as those of Judea set Israel, set by the waters of the banks of Babylon, and they could not sing a song. It was depicted on the walls of the palaces of Babylon. And we have them in history museums today. It was an amazing thought. It was so surreal of what life could happen. Daniel reminds us, too, that in his book, in chapter 2, in verse 21, or in chapter 2, and in verse 21, it says, And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. Well, what's he reminding us of? Daniel's reminding us that God... Uh, that God rises, that a nation rises and falls with God. That God's hand has a purpose in the rise and fall of God. It's amazing. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 6, God disciplines those whom he loves. He chastises those whom he loves. In other words, God will allow the consequences of life sometimes that come upon us out of a heart of love, really, so that we, we learn to respond correctly to God. Now, as I thought about this, I thought about 
uh, as I thought about Daniel and I thought about this and I began to think about uh, all that was taking place and how, 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 uh, how you know, destructive it was. And, but here's the thing. On the other end of this captivity, God brought something good out of Israel. And what happened at the other end of this captivity, do you realize that Israel never again followed idols, even to this day? After that captivity, Israel never again followed idols. Israel also, they were, they were able to, uh, there was the birth of a remnant. Out of this captivity was a birth of a remnant that was able to be returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And Nehemiah led a way to rebuild the walls. And out of it came the seed of the Messiah. That even out of this destruction, God on the other side of it brought something that was good. They never fell into idols again. There was a remnant of, of faithfulness that was born to God. Daniel was able to carry this message of, of the Messiah and hope into heathen nations at the end of this. Uh, also, we, we see that out of this, that Daniel left stories and stories that were bred down, where later the Magi came to seek the Christ child because of the stories that was left uh, in Babylon and in Assyria uh, after the, the after the stories of Daniel that Daniel told. And so it's interesting, this plot that unfolds. We see this plot unfolding in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It said, Then the king instructed, instructed Asphoraz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in wisdom, uh, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had the ability to serve the king, and, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. What we begin to see is this, this interesting uh, uh, plot began to unfold. Nebuchadnezzar was gathering the brightest young men of Judea and the Jews and the brightest men and bringing them to Babylon in order to, to bring them into a Babylonian environment and culture that he might bring them to this place where he can begin to have an influence on their life. Verse 4 tells us that they were young men. They were impressive men. They were men that had no physical defects. They were handsome, intelligent. They had social graces. And he brought them into the Babylonian Empire because he wanted to re-educate them and retrain them. He wanted to change their language. He changed their language. He changed their literature. And, uh, of course, literature is the, is the window uh, of a culture that presents itself to the world. He wanted to give them Babylonian thought and Babylonian religion. He wanted to change their language and how they talk and, and how they communicate it. He wanted to uproot uh, their previous beliefs and he wanted to make them a part of a world that was no longer monotheistic but polytheistic. He changed their names. And, and when you read about their uh, Hebrew names, all of their Hebrew names spoke about who they were. It's amazing. Uh, Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Hannah, Hannah's name meant beloved of the Lord. Michelle's name meant who is like God. Azariah's name meant the Lord is my help. He changed their names from uh, names that related to Jehovah, God, to Babylonian deities. And it's amazing. He, he gave them names that belonged to Babylonian deities. Now listen, most of the gods that were worshipped in Babylon, 
the Babylonian deities, were deities that focused on self. They were gods that were gods that were brought into uh, to help oneself. In other words, what did what was Nebuchadnezzar doing? He was teaching them to be selfish. He was teaching them to be self-absorbed. He was teaching them to be to serve the God of themselves instead of serving the God of Jehovah. He was changing their name, changing who they was. It's amazing what happens in a culture. And this is not only something that has went on in, in Nebuchadnezzar's day and Daniel's day. We've also seen some of this go on in our day. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with uh, uh, who Gloria Steinem is, but Gloria Steinem, in an article in the Saturday Review in 1973, of March of 1973, she made this statement. She said, by 2000, I hope that, I hope, uh, that the rise of our children, there'll be a rise of our children to believe in human potential, not in God. In other words, what she was saying by 2000, in 1973, she's saying by 2000, if we could teach our children that will rise and believe in human potential and not in God potential. That didn't just start with Gloria Steinem. That started all the way back in Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar tried to change who those young men were and who that culture was. In 1973, the Humanistic Manifesto, uh, the Second Manifesto, uh, came out of higher education and it set out its goals to do certain things. This is what its goals were. Its goals were to change young men and women to deny uh, the deity of God and, and, and biblical accounts of creation. In other words, this is what their manifesto was. To get those to not believe no longer in God as a deity. To change their moral values from the place to where uh, their moral values would be self-determined situational, uh, uh, and there would be no absolute truth uh, that the, to change role to strength distinctions between male and female, uh, to increase the right of abortion and euthan- euthanasia, to, to bring about equal distribution of wealth so that poverty could be brought out. In other words, in other words, uh, we may be we may be the modern Babylon, and the hour that we live in. Now, I said all of that to say this, and prefaced all that to say this, that uh, Daniel, when Daniel, when they changed his name, Daniel didn't say no. When they changed his language, Daniel didn't say no. Uh, when, they, when they presented Babylonian literature to Daniel, Daniel didn't say no. And, and, and Daniel had to walk around with the lifestyles around him that was much different than before. In other words, when they tried to change his name, they, re- they retried to redefine who he was. When they changed his language, they were trying to stamp out the language of faith. When they were uh, giving him literature, they were contradicting truth and what truth was. And we see some of that today in revisionists who want to rewrite truth and rewrite history. And they changed the lifestyle to redefine his moral uh, his moral boundaries. And so Daniel, all these things are going on around him, and he did not say no. But Daniel did draw a line in the sand. And the line in the sand that he drew was the line of the Word of God, that he would not, he would not compromise when it came to the things that God had instructed him to do. In other words, 
Daniel didn't make an attempt to separate himself from the culture, to isolate himself. He interacted with the world, but he was not contaminated by it. How many know we can interact with the world, but we can't, don't have to be contaminated by that world? The ability, he had the ability to discern what was biblical and what was not. In other words, he had the ability to know what was from God and what wasn't. And he drew a line in the sand where the word of God was. And where the word of God was, was the fact when they tried to make him eat of the king's delicacies and the meat off the king's table, that all of those delicacies had been offered to idols. And, and in that dispensation, in that Jewish dispensation, Daniel knew that it was not God's will that they would eat or that it was a sin to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. In other words, Daniel went along with the teaching because he had already knew what he believed. He went along with the name change because he knew that they couldn't change, they could change his name, but they could not change his heart. Daniel drew the line when it came to the king's meat because he knew that the word of God told him to stand and told him that eating the meat of idols was a sin. You know, the reason we sometimes are overcome in our own world is because we don't know really what the Bible says, so we compromise and we assimilate. Daniel knew the word of God. He knew the word of God. The Bible said he had purposed in his heart. And so when the time came, he had already decided. Daniel had already decided that he wasn't going to give in to sin. He wasn't going to give in to the culture. That decision was made a long time ago in Daniel's life. In other words, that word purpose is an interesting word in the Hebrew. He purposed in his heart. It means to set, to place. It means to plant, like something planted in a garden. It means to rehearse. In other words, what it means is, is that he had purposed in his heart. Daniel had made his decision long before he ever got to Babylon. And many times in our Christian lives, we have to make the decision to resist. The decision not to give in, but to resist. I'm telling you, this hour, there's going to come a lot of challenges in our life. There's going to come an hour. This is an hour when we are at the intersection of life where we are going to have to make decisions. And what's going to happen is a world that has gone uh, crazy is going to be a world that's going to manipulate and try to get us to be something that we are not as Christians. But I want to encourage you to purpose in your heart right now not to give in, not to give in to this hour, not to give in to this hour. Daniel reminded us that the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, what's that telling us? When Daniel reminded us of that, he was telling us this. He was telling us that God was in control. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what's going on around us today. God is still in control. God is still on the throne of your life. God is still on the throne. God is still working in this hour. God is going to turn this thing around for the good in this day we live in. God is going to bring something good out of all of this stress that's going on, out of all of this reaction that is happening. God is going to do something just like he did in Daniel's day. He turned a nation and he did some things in a nation that had never been done before. I'm believing that God is going to raise the church up to be Daniel's. There's going to be a remnant rise up. Just like there was a remnant in Daniel's day that went back to Jerusalem, there will be a remnant that rises up and say we are going to live for God and not be ashamed of what is taking place in the hour that we live in. And so dare to stand alone. In other words, by resisting, 
by not giving in and resisting, what you're saying is I'm willing to stand alone. I'm willing to stand alone with God. By, by not giving in and resisting, what you're saying is that, is, is that I have a firm purpose, that God has given me a firm purpose in my life and I am not going to do anything to mess that up. Not to give in and to resist means that you dare to make it known to others that you are a child of God, that you are one who serves God and will stand with God. And so number one, we, we, we don't give in, but we resist and we stand with Daniel. We don't give in, but be resistant, as in verse 8. He was not going to eat of the king's table. And then number two, don't give up, but be consistent. It's interesting as you begin to read, and I begin to read through this, to be like a Daniel, we have to not give up, but be consistent in our life. Often there is this tendency that many of us are overcome or overwhelmed or or overtaken by the world around us. You know, to some of us, it's just simply easier to give up. It's just simply easier to stop trying to live this Christian life. That it's a lot easier to give in instead of trying to hold to the biblical principles of our life. Living for God in this hour is not easy. But I want to encourage you tonight. Don't give up. Do not give up. But remain consistent. In other words, Daniel, he had came and the chief eunuch wanted him to eat off the king's table and Daniel became persistent. He said, Daniel, you have, to, you have to eat this or my life is in danger. And Daniel persisted and persisted and said, I am not going to give up on this. I am not going to give up. He was consistent in saying, I will not eat of these things. Even in the midst of the danger that he might even lose his life himself. Finally, the the eunuch gave in to him and began to allow him to eat the vegetables in which he requested. He gave consent. And so what we begin to see is that Daniel's diet changed, but Daniel did not give up. Breakthrough and challenges of our Christian life comes in the power of consistency. The breakthroughs that come in your life, in my life, are going to come out of a life of consistency. There's times we all want to give up and we all want to stop. There are times we all want to throw the towel in, but we have to remain consistent in who we are in Christ. Joseph, even while he laid in that Egyptian dungeon, he did not give up. Paul, while he laid in the Philippian jail and while he was there, he still did not give up. Daniel in Babylon did not give up. And God didn't forget any of them. And I want you to know tonight, God will not forget you. Because why? Because we don't give up. We remain consistent in our Christian life. We're not tossed and turned by every wave and wind of doctrine that comes along. But we are consistent in who we are. Daniel remained consistent. He knew what he believed. I believe that when that revival hit him as a young boy out of King Josiah and out of Hezekiah and out of those those revivals that came, there was something that was put in him that gave him not only a resistance to, to resist the things that were ungodly, but also it built a consistency in him never to give up. I want you to be consistent in your Christian life. The Bible says in verse 9 that God had brought Daniel into a place of favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. That's what it says there in verse 9. In other words, what began to happen? Daniel's consistency. Daniel's consistency. 
He was a man that walked with conviction and God showed up on, on, on his side. God showed up for him. If you'll walk in consistency and not give up, God will show up. God will show up in your life. God will show up. If you'll remain consistent, consistent prayer life, consistent walk with God, a consistent faithfulness, even in the midst of the waves and the storms of the life that go on, whether we're in a moment of a drought or whether we're in a moment of famine or whether we're in a moment of pestilence and disease in our nation or whether our nation's in turmoil, we can't give up as believers. We can't just throw the towel in and, and, and just give up and lay on the sidelines and be like those that set by the rivers of Babylon who lost their song and had no song. I'm here to tell you that don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Keep standing for God regardless of how difficult it may be. Because I'm here to tell you that your consistency, God will honor that consistency. And out of that consistency, Daniel found favor with the eunuch. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, when a man's ways pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be a peace with him. That even when a man's ways please the Lord, that he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. We are to live our lives in alignment with the word of God. Then God goes and does the work for us. Listen to me. God opens your doors. God's the one that promotes you. You don't need somebody to open the door for you or to promote you. I'm telling you, by not giving up and being consistent, God will open every door needed for your life. You want ministry? Be consistent with God. You want, you want God to do, open the door for a breakthrough in your life? Walk in consistency with God. Walk in faithfulness with God. And then God will work for you. God will be behind the scenes working in ways that you don't see him working. And I'm here to tell you that in the end, you'll look back and say, I'm glad I didn't give up. But your consistency with God is what shows God that you were favored. Daniel was consistent. He didn't waver back and forth. There was a tenacity in him not to give up. And you're not going to give up in this day. See, it's not enough just to be resistant if we're not going to be consistent. Two things consistency does. Consistency opens God's favor to your life. Your consistency will open God's favor. Somebody says to me, I, I, it's amazing today. I had a young man tell me today that he, he got a job, that God opened a job for him. And this is what I said to him. And he knows it's not the, the job that he necessarily wants for the rest of his life, but it's a job that, that was open to him. But I told him, I said, if you'll remain faithful and consistent to that job, God will open another job to you. That's a better job. God will open the door for you. If you're faithful where you are and serve where you are, God will open the door for you someplace else. God is the one that promotes you. God is the one that gives you that open door. But not only out of consistency comes favor with God, but out of consistency comes God's trust. Because when we don't give up and we remain consistent with God, all of a sudden now God can trust you. God can trust you with secret things. God can trust you with his word. God can trust you with a church instead of a Bible study. God can trust you with a, winning a nation instead of winning a neighborhood. God can trust you with great finances if God can trust you with $100. If God can trust you to tithe on $100, God will give you $10,000 to tithe on. Why? Because your consistency has opened God's ability to trust you. 
God knew that he could trust Daniel. That's why he put Daniel in the position that he was, because God could trust him with where he placed him. That favor that came on Daniel for King Nebuchadnezzar and later King Darius and later uh, for King Cyrus that was on Daniel, all of that came out of Daniel's consistency and Daniel's faithfulness to who he was. God moves the hearts and the kings and moves them towards your favor. And I'm just believing that in this hour, the favor of God is going to be on Christians. In this hour when people are hurting, in this hour when people are lonely, when people are struggling, when people have needs, your consistency of faithfulness to God, even in this hour, is going to open the door for you to share Jesus with some people and to lead some people to Christ. But your consistency, by not giving up and showing your weakness and showing that you're giving up, that you're dropping it all, you're running away from God. In other words, how many people only serve God when God is good to them? I'm here to tell you it's time for the church to start serving God regardless of what God does for them. We serve God because of who God is. And we're not the only generation that's ever struggled. We're not the only generation that's ever had a battle. We're not the only generation that's ever had to go to war or had to fight what we're fighting. We're not the only generation of God's people that's had the difficult times. Many generations have. But God has always been there. And our faithfulness and consistency and not giving up God will be there for us. Don't give up. Be consistent. Don't give in. Be resistant. And finally tonight, I want to close with this. Number three, don't give out, but be persistent. Don't give out, but be persistent. Don't give out. In a world of shock, don't give out, but be persistent. We began to look at verses 17 through through 21, and you began to see when we began to look at this. Thus Daniel continued. The Bible says in verse 21, I love this verse. Thus Daniel continued. Thus Daniel continued. What that tells us is, is that there was a there was a, a, a persistence in Daniel's life. He, his, he did not give out. He did not fall by the wayside. He did not give out. There was a persistence in his life. He persisted to be what God had called him to be. And when we look down through verses 17 through 21, what you begin to see as these young men came before the king, was interviewed by the king, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, as they were being prepared to be. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to change everything about them. But what he could not change is the inside of them. And I'm here to tell you this world will try to throw everything at us to change us on the outside. It'll do everything to change our language, our faith language, to change, to change who we are, our identity, attack our identity. But I'm telling you the devil can touch every aspect to the outside of our life, but you and I control what's on the inside. And we have the ability to say, I am not giving up. I am not giving in. And I will not give out. I will not give out. There will be a strength to help me finish this race. I'm here to tell you that some of you are watching me right at this moment, right at this hour. You're ready to give out. You're ready to let down the baton of the race. You're give out. But I let me remind you, you must be persistent. You must continue to be persistent like Daniel was. Do you know that Daniel was persistent 
And 70 years he continued. 70 years he continued. He, can, he outlived Nebuchadnezzar's empire. He outlived the days and to the days of Cyrus, ruler of Persia. God allowed him to make a tremendous difference in those 70 years that he served. You know why? Because Daniel never gave out. He never gave out. He remained persistent. The Bible said he continued. That word in the Hebrew means that he kept going, and he kept going, and he kept going. Let me tell you, we need a spiritual energized bunny in our life so that we can continue to keep going and to keep going. I'm telling you, revival's coming. Revival's coming to this nation. Revival's coming. Why? Because the devil would not have worked so hard the last 25 years with culture shock and with shock and with all the things that he's thrown at a nation and all the things he's thrown at people if God wasn't around the corner ready to move. I'm telling you, there are some Daniels that are sitting around waiting and going to experience a move of God. And when God moves, there's going to be something deposited in them that's going to help them to continue on and never give out, but continue to be persistent in their life. In other words, when we remain persistent, what does God do in persistency? Well, when we don't give out and we remain persistent, God again, puts protection on our life. When we don't give out, there's a protection that comes on us. As I said in verse 9, again, favor was found upon Daniel. There was a safety in the protection that was found in God. I'm telling you, the child of God is protected tonight. Regardless of what virus is out there or what, what, what disease comes along or what, what destruction may try to befall us, the child of God is protected. As you saw in the video, that he gives us the ability to overcome. The second thing that comes with persistency is knowledge. Verse 17, the Bible tells us that as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge, skill, and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You know what that passage is telling us? That there was an increase. Knowledge increased in Daniel. Knowledge increased in these young men. Let me tell you, there's a wisdom that comes for those who are persistent in God. There's a wisdom that comes to those who won't give out. To those who won't give out. I'm telling you, the things I learned in my life that are the most precious in my life came through the persistency of my life. Came through making decisions to live a life of persistency. Daniel was persistent. He was not going to give out. He was not going to yield and give out to the times and the days that he lived. But not only is there protection, and not only is there knowledge that comes with persistency, but also there is influence. Verse 21 says, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. I want you to think about this for a moment. When Nehemiah returned to rebuild the walls, Daniel had influence on that. When Ezra returned to rebuild the temple, Daniel had influence on that. When 500 years later, when the Magi came to visit the Christ child some 500 years later, their knowledge of the Messiah came from the stories that were passed down from generation to generation after the stories that Daniel left in Babylon. His influence stretched even to the birth of Christ. His persistency 
gave a level of influence that literally changed the world. And in this 21st century world, it would be wonderful if it was to say of us that we also continued. If it was to say to us that we also too were persistent in how we serve God. That we continued to serve Him. We would not give out. We won't give in. We'll be resistant. We won't give up. We will be consistent. We will not give out, but we as a church will be persistent. I want to close with this story, and then we're going to pray for you. In 1992, the Summer Olympics were held in Barcelona, Spain. If you remember those Olympic Games, it, it probably, those of you that remember it, could forever have it etched in our minds at the race of the 400-meter run. The favorite to win the gold medal was a young man by the name of Derek Redman. Derek was a 26-year-old, and in the middle of his race, Derek Redman fell flat on the track. When he fought his way back to his feet, he grabbed the back of his leg in pain. A torn hamstring had brought a lifetime of dreams to a miserable end in a split second. But Daniel Redman got up. He began hopping around the track on one leg. And when he reached the home stretch, a large man broke through, secure, broke through the security guard and onto the track. He was wearing a T-shirt, and on that T-shirt it said, Have you hugged your kid today? The man put his arms around Derek Redman, and together they hobbled toward the finish line. That man, it turned out, was Derek Redman's father, Jim Redman. It made for a beautiful picture. There was a fallen hero and a loving father making sure that he finished strong. Anyone who watched it on television that day will never forget that scene. Derek Redman is a picture of some of us. Some of us are laying on the track of life with our dreams smashed and our hopes dashed. Setbacks are no fun. But look, from out of the stands come a loving father who takes our arms and puts it over our own shoulder. And he'll see to the finish line if we will walk with him. Like Derek Redman, we have a hope. Don't give up. Don't give out, but be persistent. You know, tonight, if you're listening to us and God's word is spoken to your heart tonight, we want to pray for you. Our prayer lines are open. If you need prayer tonight, you're more than welcome to call 812-265-5683, and there are those willing to take your call. You can message us on Facebook, private message us. We'd be happy to call you and pray with you. And if you'd like to send us your prayer request, we will pray for them. But I want to pray for you tonight. I believe there are those that have given in, that you have not been resistant. In other words, you've not known what the Word of God has said about certain boundaries in your life, and you continue to keep crossing them. I'm here to tell you that God will give you the faith like Daniel, that even in a world of culture shock, we will know how to respond. I want to pray for those tonight who feel like giving up. You want to give up. You feel like you, you, you can't go much further. 
But I want to call you to a place of consistency. To a place of consistency where God can honor your faithfulness and bring favor upon your life. Not only that favor to come on your life, but God will open that favor, will open doors for you that have never been opened before. A lot of you are not experiencing breakthroughs because you've not been consistent and faithful with God. But I believe tonight God is going to put a touch of faithfulness on you and his hand is going to help you tonight. And I want to pray for those that are ready to give out. I just want to encourage you to be persistent. I want the indelible mark of our generation to be, the Bible said, and Daniel continued into the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. I hope that they can say about this generation that we continued, that we did not give out, but we hung in there. Do I know what's going to happen in the coming future? All I have is the Word of God. I believe we're living in the last days, and I believe the rapture of the church could happen any moment. I believe there are things could get worse, and they might. We could go into a national quarantine, and there could be martial law. Who knows what could happen in the next few weeks? The spread of this virus could go on for months. But as believers in God, we're not going to give out, and we're not going to give in, and we're not going to give up. But we're going to be persistent and we're going to be consistent. And we're going to believe that God is going to end this thing soon so that our lives can get back to normal. You know, it's interesting. As I begin to think about all of this, one of the reasons Israel went into captivity was due to the fact that they did not honor the Sabbath. The Bible tells us that. They would not honor the Sabbath years. And for seven years, they did not honor the Sabbath years. And God multiplied that and kept them in captivity for 70 years, as the Scripture says. I'm telling you that we have lost the importance of the house of God. You know, it's funny. All of the sports seasons have been suspended. All of the theaters, all of the things that we like to do personally has all been suspended. And we're left at home alone. And the very things that we give our lives to, even at times more than the house of God, now have come to a stop. And I believe God again has given us a chance to honor and learn to redirect our lives again back to the house of God. I want to encourage you, if you're out of church, you need to get back into the fellowship of the body. Get back into the church. Stop allowing these things that come before your lives, before the things of God. Listen, all of these things that have been halted, we all enjoy the pleasures of. I'm telling you, nobody loves sports more than I do. And nobody loves to have fun. Nobody loves amusement parks. Nobody loves theaters more than I do. But I want to tell you that we can never allow those things to become before our relationship with God. I'm not talking about making it legalistic. I'm just talking about faithfulness, consistency. It's amazing that the Bible said that tells us that in Judea that Jerusalem streets ran with the blood of the innocents. I'm here to tell you that one of the reasons they went into captivity is that innocent blood ran. And I want to tell you there's no more innocent blood that is being shed than the innocent blood that is being shed in this nation through abortion. 
I'm here to tell you innocent blood is being shed on the streets of this nation. And I'm here to tell you that it's time we begin to wipe out and annihilate this thing, this innocent slaughter of human life. Well, you can argue whose body it is. I'm telling you, we're all, we all belong to God. The Bible says you're not your own. You belong to God. Don't tell me it's your body. You belong to God. We all belong to God. That argument don't hold up with God. And then we have the moral decay of decisions that we are making in this society. Erasing all binary and all family institutional structure. The family is under attack. Hmm. It's interesting. It's the very same things that Judea struggled with before they went into captivity. But I want to pray for you tonight. If you don't know Christ, we want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus. You can ask Jesus into your heart tonight. We have those that are waiting for you to call. If it's busy, call back or send us a message. We'll pray for you. But let us pray tonight. Father, I pray tonight for those that have given in. I pray that there will be a resistance that will come into their lives, a strength like Daniel had, to resist those things that were contrary to the Word of God. There are some people out there that are not resisting or holding boundaries to God's Word. And I pray that you'll give them strength to overcome. I want to pray for the one that feels like giving up tonight. They've lost a a level of consistency in their life. They're hot with God, they're cold. They're hot, they're cold. They're for God, they're against God. They come to church and faithful, and then they're out of church, and there's no consistency in serving God. I pray, God, for those who feel like giving up, that, God, you will help them remain strong to never give up. I want to pray for those tonight, God, that feel like giving out. And I pray tonight that you will build a persistence in them to continue, a persistence to finish, and to understand that even though we run the race, even though we may fall in the middle of the track, just like Derek Redmond did, and our lives fall before us, all of the training, all of the preparation falls before us, but there will be a father just like Derek's father who will come out and help us and pick us up and help us to finish the race. Don't give in tonight. Don't give up tonight. And don't give out. Lord, we love you tonight. And we pray for healing. We pray for miracles in people's bodies who are sick tonight. God, we just pray that you will touch them where they are. We thank you, God, for your love and goodness and kindness on our lives. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.